Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park From wherever you happen to be, it's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. And now, here's your host, curator of the hall, Jamie Dew. Wow. If only we couldn't all have a VO person like that introduce us as we walked into various rooms. Thanks, Double D, Doug Denance. It's great to be back. This is episode two of the SNL Hall of Fame podcast, and I am pretty stoked. We're one week into season 47. We've had an episode uh, under our belts, and we're ready to move forward with episode two featuring Gilda Radner. This is exciting, right? Now, I am also the curator of the Hall of Fame, which means for you that it's time to wipe your feet before you enter because this isn't your rec room. Okay. So wipe your feet. And although I am looking for a physical location for the SNL hall of fame. So if your rec room is available, please reach out Jamie at SNLHOF.com. How cool would that be to be broadcasting live from your rec room? Oh my God. I'm excited just thinking about it. I'm also excited thinking about today's episode and what it is we're here to do, which is elect, ultimately elect a class into the SNL Hall of Fame. The SNL Hall of Fame is going to be, you know, a bunch of different things. It's going to be different things for different people. We're going to keep track of uh, statistics and records and, and whatnot. But we're also going to celebrate the best of the best in four different categories. Cast member, writers, hosts, and musical guests. Each week, I'll invite a guest or guests to essentially create the ballot for the SNL Hall of Fame by bringing a nominee to add to the ballot. Last week, we talked to Andrew Clark. And he brought Lauren Michaels to the ballot, which I got to say, it's got to be a slam dunk, doesn't it? He's got to go in the Hall of Fame. He's got to be the first member elected. So keep that in mind. If he appears on 51% or more of the ballots cast when voting happens, he will be in the Hall of Fame. This week, as I've already alluded to, I sit down with Matthew Price 
a good friend of mine, a film and television enthusiast, and all-around good guy. And we talk about Gilda Radner. Gilda is, of course, uh, an interesting case. She is a original cast member. She had a lot of potential leaving the show. Uh, you know, they did they did a, a program focused around her, and had it not been for her tragic battle with cancer and her untimely death, she would have certainly been back to host the the uh, show and leave another mark. So there's that. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want, tweet or email me at SNLHOF or jamie at SNLHOF.com. That's really all the outline I have for you. Why don't we get right into the nitty gritty at this point and go to my conversation with Matthew Price, where we talk about SNL cast member Gilda Radner. I feel like it's so obvious and yet because she died young and had a real struggle towards the end of her life, I think it's easy to forget how important she was to the show, how how fundamental she was to its success and just how like universally beloved she was as a and not just as a performer but like as a human everything that you read that is that is what you hear yeah nobody look for a person that had relationships with more than half of the cast right, right. like guilt you know you would think that that's a situation where people could have some very bitter feelings about someone who you know they they have a relationship with them then they then they go on and they see someone else who they work with having a relationship with nobody has a, a remotely or ever seems to have had a remotely bad thing to say about her. No, it's like, think about being that person who's just so sunny and, and not Pollyanna, but just like genuinely an appealing, lovely person that you don't begrudge them anything, <laughs> right? That what they do is okay because it's them. And it I just, you know, I can't think of a, of another person like that you know what i mean right, like right in in the hollywood milieu you know right, like it just right. doesn't and and it's and it's on all sides like i think as a performer i think she's the first you know you can t kind of take chevy out of the mix in terms of like being the first star because he's a very different type of first star absolutely where he his stardom was completely about him himself he said live from new york at saturday night every week every week he, he did the he weekend, hosted update. weekend update said i'm chevy chase every week and he basically as soon as it became viable 
for him to capitalize on that. He jetted immediately. That's right. Uh, I mean, there's certainly, it's, I don't know if this will shock you, but apparently he's not a very nice person. Uh, (laughs) so, so, you know, I think it's, it's very different to become, you know, I would say probably if, if you look at it in terms of outside success and who got to be work outside of the show, the earliest it's Gilda. Gilda is the one who got to go do a, do a show called Gilda Live because the demand for her was so strong. And, you know, and I mean, just on a technical level, I don't think I've ever seen anyone in any sketches on SNL ever who's as naturally funny and present in the scenes from an acting standpoint as she is. And like, and it just doesn't, and, and the, you know, she also has great characters like i would say you could say like emily latella and rosanna rosanna dan and baba wawa these are the sort of breakaway characters um for especially among the female staff uh, uh, female performers i don't think anybody else had um not to take anything away from lorraine or or uh, jane, jane. neither lorraine or jane have a single character that you can go that's that's a that's a lorraine newman character right. right like they don't have that so she has that which which is so she's the only uh, woman uh, on that first go round that has that thing of like recognizably developing characters that people really spark to. One of the hottest tickets in New York these days is for the treasures of Tutankhamun, the Egyptian king who died in 1325 BC. The ancient relics that were buried with the boy king are on display at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And here to report on this exhibition is correspondent Roseanne Rosanna Day. <laughs> Jersey writes in and says, Dear Rosanna, Rosanna Dam, I keep reading about King Tut. Who is this Tut? What's so special about this Tut? Did you see Tut? Should I see Tut? What kind of name is Tut? Did you know that Tut spelled backwards still spells Tut? Do you think that Tut will ever come to my town? Mr. Fader, this king got enough problems being dead. Don't make it worse by making him go to New Jersey. Mr. Fader, you wrote to the right lady. Because I, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art right here in New York City to see the Todd exhibit. And I really learned a lot of neat things. You know, Mr. Fader, the Egyptians believe that when you die, you're not really dead. You just go to another place. So they buried people with all their stuff so they don't have to shop when they get there. (laughs) Anyways, this King Tut was just a kid when he died, but they buried him with some very expensive pottery bowls and some razzle-dazzle golden masks and even his very own cute little teeny tiny chair. But then I said to myself, Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, if his tiny chair is here in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, 
That means that little thud is walking around in the afterlife with no place to sit down. So he's been standing around for 3,000 years. So anyways, I was walking around and looking at everything. And like in this one glass case, they had this little King Tut's fancy, fancy gold plate or something. And I was trying to get a close look at it, pressing my nose up against the glass and fogging it up with my breath and everything, wiping it off and fogging it up again. When I noticed my tongue was all green from eating this Clorette's mint to give me good breath. <laughs> and I kept trying to scrape the green off of with my teeth like this, you know, like that. And then my teeth got green on them. I tried to scrape that. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> here, I am in this, here I am in this ritzy culture museum with a green tongue. But do you know what really makes me sick? Did you ever look underneath your tongue? It's all blue and white and pink and it's real soft and bumpy and it's got this real thin piece of skin that you're always afraid it's gonna rip if you open your mouth. Oh, you please the... shut up. in and asks questions about possibly the most incredible phenomena of any civilization. And you start talking about the inside of your mouth. Well, Jane, it just goes to show you. It's always something. And it's not one thing, it's another. If you can't get tickets to the Todd Exhibitor, you got a green tongue. It's just like the little fable that I used to hear before I went to bed at night. It's a very happy story that was told to be by my optimistic aunt, Pollyanna Rosanna Dan. It's called The Fox and the Grapes. Once upon a time, there was this little fox, and one day he saw this bunch of grapes that was hanging from a tree. Well, the fox jumped and jumped and jumped, but because he, he wanted to eat the grapes, but he couldn't reach them. So he went out and bought himself a wooden stool. He put it under the tree, climbed up on the stool, and reached up, but he fell off, and the little fox died. <laughs> That's a happy story. It's a great story, Jane. It's a classic. Because <laughs> what Jane don't know is... This little fox just happened to be an Egyptian little fox. So they buried him with the grapes and the wooden stool. And they didn't put that stool in no Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art, so at least that little fox had a place to sit down. Good night, my little Rosanna Rosanna. But then even in, like, the Todd and Lisa sketches which and... Love. Which Oh, my God, they're so funny. And, and, uh, and... You know, in and in every sketch, even when she's not doing something that's about a recognizable character, but it's just about being in the scene, she's memorable and just kind of, you know, it's not a thing where she has to show off to pull your eye. She just, you just want to see what she's gonna do. Um, and then you think about behind the camera and kind of what is her influence on the show. So she champions the the female writers on the show, but she also is the one that pulls Zweibel into actually being a, a functioning writer on the show. Uh, Tell us more about that. So Al Zweibel, Al Zweibel is a, you know, is the like one of the only writers on the show who didn't come out of Nat Lamp or kind of like underground humor. He wrote shticky jokes for, for 
established comedians. He he was a he was a str- not a straight joke writer, but he was the guy that could write like if you know if Milton Berle needed some new material. So I felt was probably one of the guys that would get the call. He could do regular whatever you call establishment comedy, and that has a place on SNL. It, you know your your sketches need jokes. They can't just right. They can't just be Michael O'Donohue conceptual. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They need jokes, man. You gotta have occasionally. You gotta throw people a bone and not just bask in the uncomfortableness. <laughs> right. No, right. Completely. So, and he was uh, the story that I've read is that he was pretty intimidated by the other people in the room who are a bunch of pretty forceful personalities in that writer's room. And that at one point, Lauren came into the room and was like walking around the room asking for people's ideas. And he hid behind a plant because he didn't want, <laughs> he didn't have anything. He wasn't working on any sketches. He didn't have any ideas that he, <laughs> he was confident about. And Gilda found him behind the plant and was like, like pulled him out and said, here, we're going to be writing partners. Here's two ideas here. Can you write me a sketch where I'm a parakeet? I need some stuff for the parakeet to say. And then she had one other idea. I can't remember what it is. And then she like basically sat down beside him and said, okay, so can you, can you do this? He's like, I mean, I think, yeah. Okay. And then Lauren came around and she was like, Alan has these great ideas in one of them. I'm parakeet. Like she gave him credit for the ideas in order to get him because she just instinctively understood what this guy needed. And she was such a empathetic, generous tuned in person. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, yeah. And so that I, I feel like that is a part of what you see in her as a performer. She is just an unbelievably empathetic and tuned in person. Those eyes, they just, yeah, yeah. they're just so, they just suck you right in. I think about what's the, there's a perfume called like the morning after or something where it's about the walk of shame. Like it's the perfume right. for the, oh, and shit. she's like coming out of a one night stand and she's all bedraggled and like, why is she, and it's really funny. Right. And like. Uh, you know, like that's not a person who has any vanity in her performances, and yet she is just this naturally her sexiness, her appeal. Um, and I'm not using that word in solely in the terms of like attracting men, but I just no, think no, I understood. Her, yeah, her I understood confidence and sexiness in knowing that she has intrinsic value. I think she should be uh, an icon for feminism. Because she doesn't let what is clearly a pretty toxically male environment in any way impede her. Not uh, at all. In that show. And it impeded, it definitely impeded. Lorraine. Uh, Lorraine. It definitely impeded Jane, who kind of like was like, look, I'm going to come into work and do my job. And then I'm getting the fuck out of here because I don't want any part of any of this. nonsense. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so it and you can see it in the way that she's used in the sketches. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think uh, those things put her in the hall of fame for me and and you know i can i can we can run down a list of like favorite gilda sketches but i think the bigger deal is all of this other stuff that really helps the show become its sort of potential of what it is right nobody's better as a scene partner than her um like i like there's no male or female there's no uh cast other cast member that doesn't look better than when they're in a scene with gilda if that if that no, makes sense, that right? Totally jives. Yeah, it's really just this supportive, incredible, 
uh, person. And she, you know, and there, there are others, like I said, Danny has a virtuosic thing with, with his mouth that not very many people have, where he can just bend his, his uh, syllables around in a way that's like crazy and exciting. Right. And, and nobody's as sort of like raw as Belushi in terms of just tapping into a kind of weird ragey, I think except for Sandler, there's nobody else who's got that like deep tap into anger in a way that's really funny. Yeah. But in terms of all around, uh, you know, I've never heard. I've never I, just as a as a comma. Yeah. I've never heard anyone make the Sandler to Belushi comparison before. Like people love to sort of wedge in um, Farley Farley. But I well, think when, as soon as you said that, though, I yeah. was like. Oh my God, you're right. Like from a well, from that from a simmering, smoldering. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Like in ter- both both of them, I think what part of their appeal is that they're sitting on a lot of rage. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, and it's barely controlled. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're both the Hulk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm angry all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I uh, like that. Yeah. But but what she does, so she doesn't have those sort of like those. I feel like those are sort of like spikes off of the core, but her core is so strong. Her, you know, her center is such is so beautiful, and and frankly, her her timing is unbelievably strong. Like, you know, it's a, it's kind of like uh, you know, once you have the idea for Emily Latella, you go like, well, anybody could do it. It's like, uh, uh-uh, no, because she's <laughs> she's it's so controlled how well she's doing it, and like, there's a lot of like really fine work in Gilda's work that's really like the again if you want to start making comparisons the only person I can think of in terms of like taking the approach to comedy that's so focused and on the like the teensy tiny little details is like Michael Richards as Kramer like like that I don't know if you've ever seen outtakes from Seinfeld but like there's stuff that Michael Richards does in the outtakes where you could see he's like, no, it's a millimeter will make a difference here. You have to be really precise. And she's that precise on a show that's live. That is staggering. I mean, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that alone, yeah. that alone. So that's my, her... that's my pick for Hall of Fame. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I think. I think all her in front of the camera stuff, you know, makes her an all-star for sure. Yeah. You know, if, if, if again, to wedge the, uh, sports analogy into this makes her an all-star for sure but when you add in all that stuff that you that you piled on top of that that story with her going behind the potted plant and you just, just sort see of hang her out doing there it, right hang out there with yeah, Zoe you can see her wearing the overalls and the t-shirt yeah and no no socks or shoes and sitting cross in the lotus position behind that plant with it like i just see it in my yeah. head right yeah, yeah and just being like hey you know yeah. like yeah just sweet and sincere and yeah. and, and that, not condescending and just giving this guy an in like yeah. just generously giving him an in because it's going to make the show better yeah exactly. you know yeah. and and she came from that background i mean she's famously part of the godspell cast in toronto yeah yep. one of the first uh second she, city she was second city groups in toronto was she danny's girlfriend first i feel like she was she was martin short she, she was, was martin, martin short's girlfriend first. Short. that's right yeah. that's right and then she and then she was with danny after that and yeah. then Bill Murray famously while they were on the show. Right. And then the Todd and Lisa sketches are while they are mostly. That's while right. And so some of them are, some of them and are. So some of the make them out a little things, bit different. Yeah. Completely differently. Yeah. Right. And like some of the make out things and the, and the teasing and the physical stuff. You're like, well, he's just, I mean, if you, <laughs> it's funny. I, I feel like, there must have been a time when that was what Bill Murray thought foreplay was because if, like, it's not that different from the scene in, uh, in stripes where he, where he gets the, uh, I think it's, um, 
can't remember the, the actress's name, but he gets her up on the stove and he starts get, getting at her with a spatula. And it's like the same, like, goofy 12-year-old version of foreplay. Oh, God. Where it's like, it's about, you know, pulling things, right? You just, you poke stuff until something happens. Um, I don't think you're going to have a problem with this nomination at all i think that anybody who's spent a second watching any of the first five seasons is gonna latch onto this nomination yeah. right off the bat this is the pick that i feel like this pick ought to win yeah i think she's the first ballot hall of famer i i i think so too yeah i so, think i think she ought to win she's for many reasons yeah yeah Wasn't that great? I really want to thank Matthew Price for coming by and sitting down with me to talk about Gilda and her inclusion in the SNL Hall of Fame. Her potential inclusion, I should say. I shouldn't tip my hand. Next week, we will be back with a brand new episode featuring the head honcho of the SNL Network, John Schneider. And he and I are going to get hosty with it as we discuss Steve Martin and his candidacy for uh, the SNL Hall of Fame in the hosting category. It's a great episode. And certainly, if you're a fan of Steve Martin uh, or if you're just a fan of the early years of SNL, it's a captivating conversation and it's a must listen. So there's that. That's what I've got for you this week. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Make sure to turn off the lights on your way out because for now, the SNL Hall of Fame is closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. You can find everything you need to know about the show at snlhof.com. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next month in the hall. and such. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 